Welcome to Talking Kotlin, and on this episode, we with Tor Norby from Google, working on the Android Studio tooling. Tor, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I love this podcast. It's great to have you on. And I know that you and I recently saw each other after the whole Google I.O. thing, which was, uh, at least from my side, it was a little bit nerve-wracking <laughs> leading up to it and getting everything ready. So how was it for you? It was great. Uh, Google I.O. is my you know favorite thing a year. It's it's uh, it's when we get to unveil all the things we worked on in the last year, and we always make sure we have some surprises um, you know, for the audience. And I think this year we definitely did. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was great. And I, I know, I mean, I'm guessing for you guys as well, but for us it was so hard just leading up to this. And I was saying to some of the people that I met that I had brought on the show, um, you know, they're like, oh, you know, it would be great if if Google gave official support to Kotlin. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, as long as the community likes it, it's okay. <laughs> I know we got questions like that, you know, even the day before, before IO, yeah. right? And it was very hard to keep a straight face, uh, but I think I pulled it off. It was a yeah. big surprise. For I think that there wasn't any leak whatsoever. So that was quite good, which is which is Yeah, awesome, that was great. Yeah? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so you are working on Android Studio, right? Uh, on the IDE itself, yeah? That's right. I'm the tech lead for Android Studio. So uh, so that means that I look at all aspects of the IDE. Uh, you know, my, my favorite thing to work on, just because uh, it's just a passion of mine, is the static analysis stuff, so Android Lint. Uh, but I've had my hands on a lot of other parts of the code base as well. And of course, that's based on IntelliJ IDEA, which is... Uh, uh, from JetBrains as well, from us. And uh, so one of the things that was announced at Google I.O. was support for Kotlin, obviously in an official way, but also shipping out with Android Studio 3.0. So what exactly does that mean? And what does it kind of entail to, to get to that point? Yeah, so this was an announcement uh, that uh, Kotlin is a fully supported language for all of Android. And while I work on both the platform and the tools, I only speak publicly about the tools. So I'll just talk about that part. Uh, and so in Android Studio, uh, we are bundling both the Kotlin plugin for IntelliJ as well as the uh, the Gradle uh, Kotlin plugin. You know, and um, we've also changed uh, a bunch of code to um, to support Kotlin right out of the box. So for example, in our new project wizard, there's a checkbox now uh, that says, "Hey, do you want to make this a Kotlin project?" Uh, and in all of our uh, new templates, so in an existing project, you can, for example, say, let me add an activity here. Uh, those templates now have a source language uh, drop down as well. So you can choose even in a, in a non-Kotlin project to say, hey, I want to add this, uh, this activity as a Kotlin activity. And once you do, of course, the Kotlin plugin kicks in and offers to upgrade your project. Um, the, the biggest amount of work we did was probably to make uh, Android Lint support Kotlin um, out of the box. And so what that meant was rewriting all the Lint checks to uh, handle both Java and Kotlin uh, seamlessly. Because what happened in the past was uh, the JetBrains team took a version of Android Lint and forked it and did a lot of work on it uh, to rewrite it to handle Kotlin directly, which was nice. It meant that Kotlin users got Android Lint as well, but it was based on a fork. Uh, and every time I changed Lint, uh, invariably, there'd be some sort of breakage with the Kotlin plugin. And that was very sad for the external users using Kotlin, right? That they got a new version of Studio and suddenly Lint was broken again. And yeah. that wasn't very fun. Uh, and the other problem was, of course, it was based on a fork. And you know, we keep adding new Lint rules all the time. We're over 300 now. 
Um, and so, of course, it was lagging, right? Or I would fix bugs in Lint, and those bug fixes wouldn't be noticed and backported into the fork. Um, so JetBrains built this brand new thing called UAST, Universal AST. This is a way that you can express the abstract source tree for uh, both Kotlin and Java, and potentially any other languages if you want, uh, using this AST API. So in the past, all the Lint rules were targeting PSI directly, which is IntelliJ's API for, well, Java and various other languages. Um, with, with this new UAST, you could write a single Lint check that doesn't really know if it's talking to Kotlin or Java, uh, and it doesn't care, actually. Um, and then in the IDE, we will provide an implementation of the UAST for whatever your source language is, Java or Kotlin. Um, and then Lint just checks it and reports errors. So the net result is that in 3.0, uh, you have exactly the same Lint checks for both. There's no gap between the two. Uh, and so Kotlin should work out of the box. Okay, but when you say there's no gap, so if I'm looking at, for example, when we're talking about Lint, uh, it's kind of similar to the inspections in a way to, to IntelliJ, right? And you have different types of uh, inspections somewhat depending on the language. So is there no difference here? I mean, if I'm doing a Kotlin application, an Android Kotlin application or a Java application, are there going to be exactly the same number of checks? Or, I mean, is there parity between the two languages or not? Yeah, the, the, there basically is zero gap. Now, I think the big difference is that in Android Lint, Android Lint deliberately only looks at Android-specific issues. It does not try to give you language help. Right, uh, and and the reason for that is kind of historical. But you know, when uh, we first wrote Android Lint, that was back in the Eclipse days, and you know, Eclipse already had a bunch of checks for telling you warnings like, "Hey, you know, you're doing an assignment in an if that's kind of dodgy, right?" And we thought, well, there's no point in us replicating that check. You're just going to get two warnings: one from Eclipse and one from Lint. So instead, Android Lint tries to just focus on Android-specific mistakes, and then we sort of leave it up to other static analysis tools, particularly the ones in the IDE to do the language help, right? So if you look at all the Android Lint checks we have today, so you know maybe the most useful one, uh, although it's hard to pick a favorite, honestly, uh, is the API check. And that's the one that tells you if you're referencing a method or field uh, in your code that was introduced later than your app's min SDK version. Because that, that basically means that the app would crash if it tries to call that method on some devices. Maybe not the one you're testing on, yeah. but some device that your app says it's supporting. That's one that works across Kotlin and, and Java because it doesn't really care how you make this method call. You know, we use the UAST, we resolve the method call, we figure out the API level of that method and we just assert. So we, we're not really in a situation of warning you that, hey, this particular Kotlin construct is, has this potential issue that wouldn't apply to Java. We could because basically everything you can express in Kotlin or Java is expressible in UAST, right? So when we write these checks, we have to make sure that we're sort of covering all the basis of UAST, not just what we see in Java. But as provided we do that, uh, it should just work. Okay, so it's limiting it basically to the Android stuff, essentially, right? Yes. However, you know, at I/O, I had several people come up to me and say that you know they have written a bunch of custom rules in their company. There's actually a lot of companies I hear from that do this, and they actually like the infrastructure that Lint has because Lint has a bunch of APIs for writing Lint rules, right? Uh, and they're, you know, uh, they're they're pretty easy to use. Uh, for example, you can say, "Hey, call my Lint check if." if we see a class that is a subclass of any of these seven classes, or call my lint check if someone's calling a method named this, 
and then pass me the, you know, the method that, that's being called. So it's very easy to develop lint rules and it has all these facilities like baselines and HTML reports and all these things. So they like this and they would like it to use it not just for their Android code, which you're already doing, but for their server side code or you know, other code that they have in their companies. And so they really would like Android Lint to sort of go beyond just Android. Um, and so that's something I'm looking at pretty seriously of, of just adding, you know, uh, making Lint work outside of Android specifically as well, because it has a lot of infrastructure that's pretty useful. Um, and it wouldn't be that hard because Lint already kind of does this. In an Android project, you can have modules that don't apply the Android plugin, that just apply the Gradle Java plugin. Now, typically, you do that because you want to have some 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 code that just doesn't happen to be using uh, Android APIs. Lint handles that. It just we don't have a Gradle task which registers a Lint task to call Lint on that code that has only the Java plugin, not the Android plugin. Um, so it's not a huge amount of work, but it's something I'm definitely thinking about doing. And I've heard a lot of people also say lately that they they want more static analysis for Kotlin from the command line. And so this is another pretty good reason to do it because I think it should be pretty easy to write uh, Kotlin specific or, you know, actually general static analysis checks, but particularly uh, so that Kotlin can use it uh, from the command line. So that's something I'm looking into as well. Yeah. And the question that I was going to ask you is because when you talked about using this, you know, outside of Android Studio, obviously, is a lot of people want these checks to be run on the server, right? Because, yes. you know, I want to do this on my on my build server as well. So exactly. Is that a direction? Yes, that is absolutely something I'm working on. So I, I, I was pretty careful earlier when I said that there's no gap to say in the IDE. That's a very important phrase because that is right now where Android Lint can handle Kotlin. It turns out that if you have Kotlin files in your project and you run Lint from the command line, meaning from Gradle typically, it does not actually check Kotlin files. Um, and that's something I'm working on uh, with JetBrains. Uh, the trick is that it's a little bit difficult to uh, invoke the Kotlin compiler and get the, you know, these UAST implementations from the command line. Uh, but once we get that working, then Lint should just work. We just feed it the UAST and it, it off it goes. Um, so that's something I'm hoping uh, to get fixed in the next month. Um, but, you know, uh, no promises, obviously. We're, we're, we never promise specific dates, but it's something I'm working actively on. Okay, that's actually very cool because, you know, right now there is that shortage in the community that people are trying to get this to run on, on different, so with different solutions. And I've actually seen a couple of things uh, recently pop up. There's one that's called KT Lint. Uh, there's another one that's called Detect with a K. Uh, overuse of um, the word K. The, I've done. You've noticed probably that everything that is Kotlin, they've put a K in front of it. In fact, something today popped up. It was an implementation of optional in Kotlin called Coptional <laughs> with a K. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it would have been nice if 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 Android Lint were for Kotlin, it should be called Kotlin. Um, yeah. Now, you know, one thing we actually do inside of the. Uh, Android Tools Group is um, we run the IntelliJ inspections from the command line. So IntelliJ actually ships with a script called inspect.sh, which runs a bunch of the IntelliJ machinery from the command line. It's not super polished uh, from the command line. I, I believe that you actually have really nice integration in your uh, Team City product. Um, but the yeah. uh, inspect.sh script just works. It you know you point it to your project files and it runs all the inspections and it spits out a directory full of um, of files. And we have some integration with our code review tool, Garrett, that actually, you know, on the on the build server runs this stuff and and adds them as comments on your CL. So we sort of get some of this command line um, Kotlin checks um, as part of the code review. Yeah. And there's 
I think over 70 of them. It's pretty decent, actually. Plus, I guess the Kotlin compiler also adds a lot um, of, of warnings that, you know, that I think the Java compiler doesn't. Um, yeah, but but I think what's lacking, and, and some people do want this, is things around formatting as well. Like, you know, yes. you've got... Yeah, I think Go has this nice tool, right? You just run it and it just fixes the code the way you want it. Um, inside of Google, we have something similar to that for Java. Um, and so typically when you try to upload a CL, we will run the formatter on it first to make sure it's canonical. Um, and it would be nice to have that for, for Kotlin as well, for sure. Yeah. I mean, we, we do it inside the IDE. There are, you know, there are certain inspections like, you know, are, are the redundant semicolon and when you want to do code style formatting. So if you, if you, we could do that externally, it would be good. We have it on the .NET side with, with our resharper tool, kind of the same situation. So that's a that's a good thing. Yeah, I have to admit, I have to admit, I, I only recently started using the commit dialog in the IDE, and you know that is not a criticism of, of the of the Git support in IntelliJ. It's more that I've been using command line for version control for over twenty years, and I just kind of like got used to it and trusted it. But I saw recently that I think in the latest EAP that you've added the ability to reformat the commit messages, and that's something that I really really like because I mean I, I typically use Emacs as my editor just so I can get that nice, you know, command. Uh, Q to reflow the, uh, the 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 text that I've written to the 65 yeah. character Git boundary, uh, and to have it yeah. in the ID is really nice. So I might just switch now. Finally. Yeah, I I was a I was like that as well. I mean, for many years I used to use the command line, and even when I started working at JetBrains, I'm like, no, I'm not going to use the dialog box, and eventually I switched to it, and it's pretty nice. So I like yes. it. Yeah. So one other thing that you mentioned is that now when you go to Android Studio. If I use any template or start any Android project, I get Kotlin support directly, right? That's, that's right. We've actually done two different things there. So uh, for most of the templates, we've actually have manually ported them to Kotlin. So we've checked in the template twice, both the a Java version and a Kotlin version. Um, for some of the larger templates that we think are less frequently used, I'm not going to name names, uh, we just run the converter. Right, so there is that uh, Java to Kotlin converter that the plugin ships with, um, and you know it does a pretty good job. It kind of varies on what the code does. So when it you know when it does something we really don't like, we've checked in a, a manually ported template, and we probably will port them all. Uh, but that's where things are right now. Okay, because I, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, are you going to be keeping like two versions of this, or are you converting it uh, on the fly? Yeah. So like I said, we do we do both. Um, but I think we probably over time will we'll switch to really kind of uh, manually tweaked versions of the templates. And I got to say, you know, that uh, this was kind of a, the rush job on some of the templates. So it's probably not the most beautiful Kotlin code you've ever seen. We probably will tweak those over time as also as we, the team, get more um, proficient with Kotlin. If you're using Kotlin or planning to, make sure you check out KotlinConf a conference taking place in sunny San Francisco on the 2nd and 3rd of November 2017. It's a two-day event packed with Kotlin content by industry experts with keynotes from Andre Breslav and Eric Meyer. So whether it's back-end, front-end, mobile, or native, KotlinConf is the place to be this year. That's KotlinConf, C-O-N-F dot com. Hope to see you there. Yeah, but the converter also is not the most idiomatic one either. That's right. I've noticed that. Although every now and then it really impresses me, you know, so it, it has some stuff where it's like, wow, it, 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 it did a fantastic job here. 
Um, it does it does but like when you converted uh, a java bean to to kotlin you're like wait a minute what did i just save here you know it's like what, what you're not selling me anything with this you know i know so, it, so you know at google io i gave two demos one was in the developer keynote where i showed hey how much simpler uh kotlin is and i showed the auto conversion you know for for some code i felt like maybe i'd oversold that a little bit so in the longer developer tools demo i had to point out look okay so don't think that you're completely done here uh but I still think that it's uh, it's a really, really fantastic start. And whenever I'm stuck with something where I'm not 100% sure how to do this, I definitely just go to the converter um, still today. Yeah. So since this has been announced, uh, how is the, like, I, I've seen that you guys have been busy as well providing some documentation and some code labs and some examples also in Kotlin. Is this something that you're pushing more as well, just trying to provide all of this? Yes, but to be honest, I don't know a lot about the developer relations outreach. Um, so, um, you know, it's definitely something we want because, you know, it is a fully supported language now. So I assume that that team will go ahead and, and do a lot more of that. Uh, it's just not something I'm really directly involved with. Yeah, one thing we're doing in uh, that will be uh, that we're changing in the code base right now. So I think it'll go out in preview four, um, which is planned for next week. Though again, no promises on dates. Uh, we are switching the templates over to using the uh, compiler extensions. So instead of you know putting manual find view by ID into your code, uh, it uses the compiler extension right where you can sort of import the the synthetic package for your layout and you get a field created and cached in your activity that you can then access directly. So it makes the code quite a bit cleaner. Oh, that's actually very good because that's one of the things that people really complain about when it comes to refactoring, right? Exactly. To, exactly. Yeah. This this was one of those things where like, uh, and it just seems like a pretty nice usage of, uh, of Kotlin's language abilities. Uh, it makes the code quite a bit cleaner and it actually solves a problem for us, which is that uh, there was a change in the SDK in O to define view by ID signature. It's, it went to become generic. And it turns out that it's pretty difficult to write uh, code that works with both pre-O and O uh, because of this signature change. Uh, so by just not having find view by ID at all, we kind of sidestep that issue nicely in Kotlin. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a good solution. Yeah. And and that's part that's possible because of the the plugin architecture that the compiler has, right? Which is you know allowing you to kind of extend it in in a way as you say. What what are your thoughts about that? as a whole, like this ability to kind of tweak the compiler, if you will. It scares me, <laughs> you know, because uh, I'm sure this will, abuse, will be abused. Uh, though I will say that a lot of things that Kotlin has done uh, has been done very tastefully. So operator overloading is one of those things that, you know, can be horribly abused in some languages. Uh, and I think the fact that Kotlin has operator overloading, but limited to the really intuitive ones plus, minus, multiply, and so forth, and also has the same precedence rules as in arithmetic, I think is a really, really good good idea. So, you know, I, I don't know if there are similar uh, restrictions on the compiler plugins that, you know, would prevent you from, you know, creating a Perl front end to let you write Perl in your Kotlin. Uh, oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> yes, I'm, if it's possible, <laughs> someone will do it. Uh, but, you know, uh, it'll be interesting to see what people can do with that. I mean, one of the things we did with it, I don't know if you're aware, is, uh, you know, the Spring Framework, right? Uh, which uh, is big the league, server yes. side kind of thing. Yeah. Yes. So they use kind of like a, a dependency injection framework, and essentially every class needs to have open. Mm -hmm. And it kind of makes your 
code look ugly because everything has to be open. So there is another plugin that allows you to kind of decorate and say, okay, assume that these classes are open for the effect of the IOC framework being able to do its stuff. Uh, the case of the find by view, right? Those are, those are, you could say that they're good cases, but it does scare me as well. They, they, they are. And, and, uh, you know, just seeing the, the find view by ID trick makes me really want to apply the same thing to data binding. Data binding is one of those cases where you have to go into your own class and set up a, a, a binding field. And I would love to have those created automatically as well. So I definitely want to talk to whoever did the find view by ID stuff. Yeah. So, well, you can, obviously you can reach out to a team, but a lot of people say, uh, you know, are you going to document this uh, plugin architecture? And we're like, well, we're not sure that's the best thing to do right now, you know, because <laughs> then, yeah, gonna... I could tell you based on everyone, everyone I've talked to, so if you have time to document something, uh, do a code style. Yes, we are, we are actually working on a code style. But you know, here's the funny thing. I don't know if you saw uh, a couple of days ago, Dmitry Jemerov uh, tweeted some picture of like 30, a 30 thread long conversation on a, a, on a single piece of code internally that was like, okay, I'm gonna publish this code style. Internally, there was like discussions, endless discussions around it. And we're like, once this goes public, imagine the flame wars that's going to happen in terms of code styles. Well, you have the luxury of getting to decide, right? So, so back in the day, you know, Sun published a code style for for Java, and it was the authoritative one because it came from the language designers. And I think again, if you say this is how we want the language to be used, people are going to listen to that. Whereas it'll be probably much more controversial if I were to post my recommendation for Kotlin code style. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, I guess, I guess, but it's at the same time, it's kind of like, it feels a little bit, uh, I don't know, authoritarian to kind of say, well, this is the way it should be, but. Yeah, well, I mean, I, th I think I think Go actually enforced it, right? You don't need to enforce it, but I think there's an appetite right now to find out when should I use the let statement, right? Like, is it really better to put a let around a single local variable instead of having an if? It's one of those things where you know, I think on our team, we're starting to think that maybe we don't use let for variable, but if you're actually calling it on an expression, then it's okay. But I, I would just love to know what it is people who've used Kotlin for much longer than me uh, think about this based on their experience and based on their code review and, and so forth. So we're adopting Kotlin in our, our in our code base in the tools, right? So Lint actually has a lot of Kotlin in it, um, but also in the Android plugin, we, we have Kotlin now, and even in the, you know, the Gradle plugin is starting to write Kotlin. Uh, but you know, as we're rolling this out to the team, we there is definitely a need for us to become proficient code reviewers of each other's code and to actually know what's recommended. And right now, there's a little bit of a vacuum. Yeah, and recently there was another conversation around this. Uh, there's a construct of you know, if if a value if empty and then execute something, and that there was why can't I just use an if statement? You know, and maybe sometimes it, an if statement is okay. You don't have to use higher order functions for absolutely everything or everything that the standard library provides. And someone said, just because it's in the standard library doesn't mean you have to use it all the time. So yeah, I think it is needed. Yeah, and so those, those guidelines would definitely help, I think. Talking about one thing you just mentioned that you're using a lot of uh, Kotlin code in, in Android Studio itself. How are you doing the conversion? Are you kind of just new features or new things you add? Is that being Kotlin or are you refactoring existing code? Well, it, it, it varies a bit. So it hasn't sort of rolled out to every sub team of studio yet. We're starting in core because we're the ones who deal the most with uh, with Kotlin code, right? Because it, it sort of came in via the, the platform. IntelliJ 
added more and more Kotlin code. And so we had, I mean, that's when I first encountered Kotlin in a file merge conflict where code we'd modified in Java suddenly was a Kotlin file. So I had to do a quick crash course on Kotlin to be able to resolve that merge conflict. Um, so, so we're starting with that. And we, you know, given all the work we have to do, 3.0 has lots of bugs, right? We don't want to sort of, quote unquote, waste time, uh, sort of just massaging lots of code that's already working. Um, we have a... Um, requirement that all new code has to have at least 90% code coverage. So if anyone wants to go and rewrite code into Kotlin, they have to also bump up that code uh, coverage then, which is not a bad thing. But um, we are definitely spending most of the time on new code with Kotlin. We're not really going back and porting existing code. Um, Lint, I think, is an exception to that, where I actually wanted to just kind of switch over uh, to Kotlin for most of the implementation. And I think that's the, the same strategy, right? I mean, if, if something is working and it's not causing you any pain, why are you going to go and touch it? and and rewrite it. Yeah, so, so that is true. Uh, although I will say that when I'm writing Kotlin code, one of the things I like about it is that I don't get away with dodgy code, right? So, you know, where in Java, I would have known that probably is never going to be null, right? Yeah. And I'll just kind of make the call. I have to be explicit in Kotlin. And I like that. And I have a feeling that, you know, when your code base becomes more pure, you're going to have fewer issues because there's just going to be less of that. Um, the other thing, you know, switching over to data classes and so forth, you're kind of getting rid of potential bugs in your equals and hash code and so forth. So I, I do think there's always risk in in touching code that's working and making it worse. Uh, but I think uh, Kotlin has a lot of nice properties that might make things better. Yeah, and it is the fact that it doesn't support nulls by default actually is making you think about nullability, you know, which is... You know. Yes, and there's the immutability support, which I'm a big fan of too. And you know, just the fact that mutable variables, or I guess variables, um, are ugly in the IDE. They get this ugly underscore treatment, yeah. right? And at first, I was like, I'm going to go change that because it's so it looks so ugly. And then I thought, wait, no, this is probably really helpful to make them ugly and make you not want to have those things. Um, so I think that it sort of encourages better coding practices. Yeah, I, I told them that we should go with fluorescent green with that and underline. <laughs> that will really sway people away from it. Yeah. Do you have a blink attribute uh, available to symbols? Oh, God. No. <laughs> you know, can you use blink as well? With animated GIFs. Turns out actually Android, uh, blink actually works in views in Android. It's a, it's a little known feature. Uh, hope, luckily not really... Uh, Used, but yeah, there's uh, in the in the view class, there's actually support for the blink tag. Really? Do yeah. you want Do you want me to? If, if you search for it, and I think I think I think Romangi wrote this, and I think the comment is something like "Let's party like it's 1999" or something like that. Uh, you know? Do you want this? Like, do you want this public, or should I edit this part out? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Use responsibly. Um, cool. So, what else have you got in store for uh, Android Studio for the upcoming versions that you can speak about? Yeah, well, we tend not to talk about that. Uh, just because <laughs> that'll be those will be good surprises for IO twenty eighteen, right? Um, one more thing I wanted to say about the Kotlin support in Lint um, is that I'm, you know, so Android overall is supporting Java and Kotlin sort of on an equal basis, right? Lint itself isn't really an API for Android developers. It's really a you know uh, an API for people who are doing tools. Typically, people who are sort of doing in-house you know, the in-house uh, support for the code base. Um, and until now, it has not had an official API. There's all these warnings in the Java doc saying, this API can and will change, and it has changed all the time. 
but I want to get to a point where that API doesn't change all the time. Um, and I'm really considering making the APIs take advantage of Kotlin uh, because there's all these nice features that let you sort of do um, changes in a semi-compatible way, both source compatible and binary compatible. So just recently, for example, I needed to add some new parameters into some methods, right? And with Kotlin, I could just add default parameters. If, you, if you're using the code from Kotlin, it'll just continue to compile just fine, right? Because you're getting the default. Whereas to support Java, I would have to add a separate method in order not to break compatibility. And then there's all this other stuff that you have, for example, the ability to annotate deprecated methods with the replacement code. And I, I, I'm under the impression that this is how you made your uh, milestone changes to Kotlin up to 1.0, right? Yep. You would change the way something worked, but you were able to also say, and here's the replacement code. So clients could just sort of apply quick yep. fix. You know, and then there's the the support you have, I guess, for um, deleting methods so that it you can't compile against it, but it still gets put into the compiled image, right? So you can delete methods and not have and, and actually get rid of them, but you don't break binary compatibility. All these things are incredibly appealing to me uh, as an API owner. So I'm I'm looking very deeply at that for for length itself. Because there is one thing that you mentioned about this. Uh, so effectively, you're saying that some of these companies that want to be able to create their own rules even though they aren't tool vendors, are going to be able to do this in an easier way? Yes. So so there are a lot of these already that do this, right? They have lots and lots of, of, of custom link checks that are enforcing practices that they've recommended. So if they decide, hey, no one gets to call thread.yield, they'll just write a link check. It's like five lines, right? And now on the continuous build server, if anyone does that, the build breaks. Um, so. It, that feature is really appealing to them, but again, they have to deal with these APIs that keep changing. And so that's what I want to get to a point where you can write lint checks very easily and it's easy to stay compatible with what we're doing. Um, you know, I didn't realize, but Android maintains binary compatibility, but not source compatibility. Um, and so I feel a little bit more free now to sort of make the same thing for the linked APIs once I make them once I make them final. I would like to, you know, to support compatibility with that. Uh, with that approach. Okay. Sounds great. And you can't give us any timelines on when this would be available, right? Well, so custom lint rules have been available for several years and they're used widely. No, um, I mean the stuff you're the, doing the, the, with, the, with lint currently. Yeah. So yeah, so <laughs> there are no promises, uh, though I actually have a, we have a, a Google group, uh, you know, pretty retro uh, called lint dev where people post questions about their custom link rules. And I basically announced things there. You know, I had a pretty vague post about UAST a few months back. Now, in retrospect, this should be obvious to everyone why I was porting to UAST, <laughs> right? It was to support Kotlin. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of a place to go uh, for information about link writing. Um, the difficulty I have now with switching the APIs to Kotlin is like, hey, do I want to, do I want to break any link rules today? Or do I sort of want to just do one big rip the bandaid off when it's all done, right? Because, you know, I have this plan for Lint 2.0 where I'm switching all the APIs over. Uh, I'm just not there yet. So I'm trying to keep things compatible. But I my thinking right now is that I'm going to switch the APIs to be pretty Kotlin-centric, just so that from then point on, if you write your Lint checks in Kotlin, you'll have a very good compatibility story. Great. And I know that we've been speaking about you coming to KotlinConf, and I believe that you're going to be showing a bunch of this at KotlinConf in November, right? Yes, yes. Uh, if if the talk gets accepted, then I would love to talk about the you know how to do static analysis with Kotlin and UAST in particular and all that well, stuff. Well, a little birdie told me that it will be accepted. 
So. <laughs> oh yay! Exciting. All right, I'll have to turn and, my calendar. Uh, and I think <laughs> by the time that we release this, uh, I think all of the all of the talks results will be out. It, it's actually been really, really difficult, really difficult because we had, believe it or not, 146 submissions and we have like 32 yeah. spots and it's just, it's painful. I know it's, it's, it's yeah. really brutal. Uh, it's very difficult. There's so many good yeah. speakers uh, and good topics as well. And uh, it's a good problem. It's a good problem. It is, to have. But you know, it, you also let down a lot of people, right? Cause they're like, ah, oh, my talk didn't get in. Yeah. But anyway, cool. Well, it was great chatting with you, Tor, and uh, thank you for taking the time and hope to see you soon again someplace. Yeah, maybe Comic-Con. Oh, most definitely there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Bye.